This episode is presented by Wild Dunes Resort, a resort unlike any other. Wild Dunes offers something for everyone. Award-winning golf, tennis, pickleball, and sparkling pools, delicious on-site dining, and memorable outdoor adventures. Located just outside Charleston in beautiful Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Wild Dunes offers 36 holes of signature golf designed by Tom Fazio. The Lynx course was Fazio's first solo design and is still among his favorites today. From the rustling palms lining the rolling fairways to a finishing hole overlooking the glistening Atlantic, the Lynx course is South Carolina golf at its finest. The Harbor Course, another of Fazio's gems known for its challenging design, beautiful views, and most of all, water. From lagoons and salt marshes to the intracoastal waterway, this course will test all aspects of your game. Whether it's an afternoon golf outing or a week-long excursion, you will enjoy every minute of your golf vacation at Wild Dunes Resort. Learn more about Wild Dunes at wilddunes.com. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. I am your co-host, digital editor Al Lunsford, joined by Joe Passoff. Joe, we're basking in the glow of another end of the year on the PGA Tour and the Tour Championship. So what are we talking about today? Well, Al, I'm glad you asked that because, yes, we are talking about the Tour Championship. And as well, we should. It ends the PGA Tour. It has for many, many years. And since 2004, it has ended the PGA Tour season at Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta. Eastlake isn't the only place that the Tour Championship has gone to over the years. Um, where, where are some other great golf courses that have actually played host to the Tour Championship? You're right about that. Uh, 2004 started it as the annual host, and it's been there since. Uh, it wasn't the first time that Eastlake hosted the Tour Championship. First time it was there was in 98. Uh, but you go back to 1987 when it was the Nabisco Championship. Tom Watson was the first winner of this event in its history at Oak Hills Country Club in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, but it's also visited Pebble Beach, Harbor Town, Champions Golf Club in Houston a few times. In fact, other than Eastlake, that's the most recent one uh, in 03 before Eastlake's run starting in 04. Uh, it also went to Pinehurst Resort and Pinehurst number two, back to back years, 1991 and 92. Then the Olympic Club in 93 and 94, Southern Hills. PGA Championship venue from last year in 95-96. And then back-to-back -back Champions Golf Club Eastlake uh, from 97 up until 2004. Okay. So, you know, what we're talking about is Eastlake has been a staple uh, now, you know, both for the last 19 or 20 years, a couple times before that. Uh, but Eastlake isn't the only venue that the Tour Championship has gone to. And mind you, I mean, I, I think there's been a little back and forth with Eastlake because it's such a revered destination in the world of golf. It was the home of Bobby Jones. Literally, he grew up on a house across the street from the golf course. It's where he learned to play. And back then, it was known as the Atlanta Athletic Club. So it went through different incarnations. 
Tom Bendelow, one of the ancient golf course architects, did the first version. And then Donald Ross came in and did a new version in 1913. And after that, uh, George Cobb, a very uh, well-known architect in the South during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, came in and, again, a major makeover uh, ahead of the 1963 Ryder Cup. But, um, you know, times changed in many big cities, and eventually Eastlake was not located in a very nice neighborhood. So the club itself voted to move out to the suburbs and set up what would be a new Atlanta Athletic Club. But they didn't want to sell off the old one. Too much amazing history there. And they held on to it for a long time. And that became ultimately Eastlake Country Club and then Eastlake Golf Club. Okay, so the great Tom Cousins, a developer, businessman in Atlanta, came in, uh, stories well-known in the 1990s, and revitalized the entire neighborhood. And it was a sorry state back in the day. And building projects and adding to Eastlake and building uh, an executive golf course and getting a caddy program going, and an incredible boost. And making it all kind of the cherry on top of the sundae was the PGA Tour working with them and giving them all these tour championships. So Atlanta is a great spot for this event because you have so many corporate sponsors. And when the tournament was played in September, even in, in the beginning of October, generally speaking, you were assured of good weather. But wow, we're in a little different era now. And the tournament to avoid all the football stuff has moved into August. Oh, it's hot and steamy in Atlanta. And not only that, Al, but when this tournament ends, it, and, and it had just wrapped up, boom, we're going into another major renovation, this time from Andrew Green. In the 1990s, Reese Jones did the task, and Andrew Green got the call this time. A lot of great Donald Ross work that he's done over the last few years at places like Inverness, Scioto, Wanamoiset, um, Oak Hill, of course, which held the PGA Championship this year. So um, perhaps an inspired choice. He is going to rely on a 1949 aerial that um, was made available uh, to say, here's what the scale of this club should look like. Here's what the bunkering should go back to. And here's what the green complexes uh, will now play like, so to speak. So it's going to be extremely interesting how this golf course changes. Now, the PGA Tour is expecting the Tour Championship in 2024 to go back to Eastlake. But what if something happens and it's not ready to go back in 12 months time. I thought maybe, hey, let's talk about some other possibilities that could host the tour championship. And you know what? Uh, if I'm being honest here, <laughs> late August in Atlanta is really muggy, hot, steamy, thunderstorm prone. Is it really the best place to have a major style golf tournament? 30 guys going for the big prize. 
Um, I don't know. I think, and I think you do too, Al, there are other places that we could think about taking the tour championship, whether Andrew Green's work is done in time or not. And some are kind of hot and steamy and others are anything but. So, Al, where else might we take the tour championship if it doesn't get played at Eastlake? And that's that's what we're talking today, right? It's supposed to be ready after it closes, you know, for all intents and purposes today, because we're talking the day after the, the tour championship. It's supposed to be ready by next year's tour championship, but what if it's not? Where do we go? Of course, we'd like to go back to Eastlake. Uh, with its pedigree hosting this event, it hosts at a Ryder Cup. It's hosted the U.S. Amateur. It's got, you know, plenty of of reason to stay at East Lake. However, and Joe, for my a couple items on my list, I'm gonna say a choice with the assumption that, you know, this has been decided on. It's not like, you know, hey, we're getting to June, and all of a sudden, oh, we need to find somewhere else to play this event. A couple of mine, I'm thinking like, well, we've already made the decision. This is where we're going to go because it could mean that you have to fluctuate the current PGA Tour schedule that's been announced for next year. A couple of mine are like that. I think you avoided that with your choices, actually, uh, in terms of not interfering with the PGA Tour's schedule as it stands. But uh, I got a little creative with mine, so that we could go some places with uh, familiarity for the audience watching and hopefully bring a lot of excitement to it. So, okay. um, so I'll go ahead and my first choice and we're not getting any less muggy Joe uh, by going in this direction, but my first choice is move TPC Sawgrass to the end of the year and the tour championship Hell, call it the Players' Championship still, but move it to August. Move it to the end of the year. Make players earn their way to Sawgrass, and then you have the stage for what people call the year's fifth major. Give even more uh, importance to the event that's played at TPC Sawgrass. It's probably still going to be hot. August in Florida is not necessarily the kindest time of year to go visit. It's getting there towards fall, but uh, still be pretty muggy. Uh, everyone's familiar. Players are all familiar with that tournament, with that course. And on top of that, the audience is very familiar with that course. They know it's coming down the stretch. They're getting the 16, 17, and 18. It really gets important when they're getting there. I think if you make it the season ender, you instantly insert more drama to the event more credibility to the event uh, when you tie yourself to the tour championship at TPC Sawgrass it, it feel like that means more and for the tour's sake I mean you'll be there at PGA Tour headquarters for your tour championship you have all those resources at HQ at your disposal to push out uh, to get everyone involved on your on your staff uh, all the equipment that you have, the technology that's housed there at the PGA Tour headquarters is at your disposal to use versus taking your operation on the road somewhere else. So I think it could be a perfect storm to, and I've 
I've actually thought this for a while to make TBC Sawgrass the tour championship host. I'm going to say this about all my choices, Joe. Who says no to that? <laughs> Knowing full well that people are going to say no. For their- of course. <laughs> of course. Um, Al, I'm intrigued. Are you talking about a full field players championship kind of replacing the tour championship? Or is this the 30 person tour ender and maybe we shouldn't worry about having a full field players championship any longer? You know what? I I hadn't considered whether or not you just scrap the the players championship um or as you do when you know a place like Quail Hollow hosts the PGA Championship so they move the Wells Fargo to uh Eagle Point. Would you move the players if you're going to do it a year? Um would you still have the players then have this 30 man event uh or maybe you maybe you reduce it to to two rounds and instead of you know, you whittle down the fairway, uh, whittle down the uh, the field twice before you get to 30. Just whittle it down once, uh, make that first cut, and then that second event is your tour championship to have more people in the fold. I'm really intrigued. Uh, you actually sold me <laughs> on a number of these items. Um, I think that would create more of a, this is a legitimate big time field tournament not some tournament where some guy starts off at minus 10, um, which is the biggest problem I have overall. Uh, TBC Sawgrass, one of the best tournaments venues on earth. No question about it. It has seen big tournaments there in August, such as Tiger Woods winning the U.S. Amateur there. Uh, So no objection there. Um, it, it's a little harder to get firm conditions. And even though the breezes will blow, they're warm breezes. But yeah, temperatures elevated. Okay, the pros play a lot in elevated temperatures uh, from all the PGAs that were in August to uh, you know uh, what we witnessed in Atlanta this past week with temperatures up in the high 90s. I mean, they do deal with it. I wish they'd, for tournaments like that, they would let the let the pros wear shorts and I'm waving the flag for that. Um, and we've seen, well, for instance, what Lucas Glover looked like uh, in Memphis, <laughs> it just would be a little more sensible to have guys in shorts, uh, when, when conditions reach that. So sawgrass is intriguing. If you had a 30 man finale there, then you could set the golf course up even tougher. You're not worried about moving a full field around and, you know, okay, now we'll really see who can play of the 30 guys and tuck some more pins and so forth. So although it's still a pretty warm weather venue, um, a lot of compelling reasons uh, and a lot of great uh, background uh, in support for TPC Sawgrass, the stadium course to to host the tour championship. And I'll say one more thing, because you you mentioned, you know, not being a huge fan of the format for me and I we talked about this before we started recording the tour championship right now it doesn't make me feel anything I don't I don't feel strongly against it I don't feel strongly for it I just still feel nothing and maybe that's worse than than feeling something either way but I think the TPC Sawgrass hosting this event would make me feel something for it and want to watch so many risk reward opportunities out there and 
like you said, they if they get really tricked out with it and, and start tucking pins and make it stuff you don't you wouldn't even see at the the players, that adds even more to that event. No, you're right. And there, golf courses that have built-in drama are that much more compelling. Um, much more reason, yeah, I do have to watch this. And um, as much as I love Eastlake and the backstory and Bobby Jones, uh, it has not been typically a golf course that, okay, I got to drop everything because there's so many interesting things that could happen here. Even when they reverse the nines, that doesn't do it for me. And, and again, uh, one more soapbox comment is when we looked at all the reader comments that came in in the last reader poll from links, I mean, you know, you printed a bunch of them and nobody was all shouting from the rooftops about the FedEx Cup playoff system. And that is problematic, you know, no matter what they do. So even though we were entertained perfectly well, in my view, it has never been must-see, drop what you're doing. Yeah, boring in all caps was one of the my favorite comments about, mm. hey, what do you think about the FedEx Cup? Boring. <laughs> I, I think folks have been jaded a little bit by the money. And this, plain and simple, is a money grab. The tournaments that mean something are the four majors. And, and let's be fair, the Players' Championship, among others. So, yeah, um, we can discuss... Uh, further and further, any more fundamental changes to the concept, but in terms of the golf course that should host the Tour Championship, uh, we, we, we're off to a good start with TPC Sawgrass. I'm going to throw in a controversial course as my first choice, top of the list, and that is Chambers Bay out in the state of Washington, the city of University Place, and most folks remember it for the wrong reasons, as host of the 2015 U.S. Open. Um, okay, we got a wonderful finish there. Jordan Spieth edging Dustin Johnson, two of the giants in the game. Uh, unfortunately, there was an issue with the greens primarily uh, that made for unattractive viewing and for really inconsistent putting that was not worthy of a U.S. Open. Um, can't blame the architects for that. Robert Trent Jones Jr. with Bruce Charlton, Jay Blossie. Uh, it was an incredible effort to do what they did from this old sand and gravel quarry mine uh, and just creating a championship golf course that was fantastic to look at on television. Um, I covered the U.S. Open that year. It was equally great to see in person. Big elevation changes. Um, and, and so here are my other reasons for saying, how about Chambers Bay for the Tour Championship? Uh, for starters, you've got West Coast. All right. We know what that means. That is primetime viewing in the East. To treat this instead of just an appetizer for football, so to speak, on a Sunday, and and of course now moving the Tour Championship to August, it's only early college football games, so you avoided that to some extent. But what an extravaganza to have it in prime time, whenever the tournament would be played, but especially next year. Uh, 
not only do you have West Coast prime time, but you have temperatures in that part of the state of Washington along the coast on the Puget Sound uh, that are average daytime highs in the 70s. Wouldn't that be pleasant for players, for sponsors, for spectators? And gosh, the breezes coming off Puget Sound, the mountain views in the background, and the greens are no longer a problem. The U.S. Women's Amateur took place there in 2022. Um, happy to report that uh, the old bumpy fescue surfaces are gone, replaced by uh, Poanua or Poanua, however you would like to pronounce it. And, and, and they're smooth and they're good and much easier to maintain. Uh, it was a brilliant women's amateur. At least six or seven all-star holes on that golf course in the dunes. Railroad tracks behind a couple of them. Uh, Risk-reward opportunities off the tee shots. Incredible flexibility on how the par threes can play. That's where I think the Tour Championship should go. Chambers Bay. Prime time, baby. Prime time. That factored into one of my choices as well. Joe, I think this is a good one because it's a polarizing place. I'd venture to say the majority of people, when they think of Chambers Bay, they don't really know what to think because of how negatively some folks talked about it when the U.S. Open was there in 2015. And like you mentioned, they had the 2022 U.S. Women's Am there, and it was extremely well-received. How could it not be? That setting is absolutely gorgeous. A lot of interesting holes out there, like you mentioned. Puget Sound, train rolling by. It's just a feast for the senses, that place. And it would show well. I think it deserves the chance to host another big event, too. So I, I like this. I like this choice a lot. And the fact that it is polarizing, people will be interested, like, hey, wasn't that that place that nobody liked putting and all that stuff was going on? What What's it look like now? So, uh, good choice. This episode is presented by Wild Dunes Resort, a resort unlike any other. Wild Dunes offers something for everyone. Award-winning golf, tennis, pickleball, and sparkling pools, delicious on-site dining, and memorable outdoor adventures. Located just outside Charleston in beautiful Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Wild Dunes offers 36 holes of signature golf designed by Tom Fazio. The Lynx course was Fazio's first solo design and is still among his favorites today. From the rustling palms lining the rolling fairways to a finishing hole overlooking the glistening Atlantic, the Lynx course is South Carolina golf at its finest. The Harbor Course, another of Fazio's gems known for its challenging design, beautiful views, and most of all, water. From lagoons and salt marshes to the intracoastal waterway, this course will test all aspects of your game. Whether it's an afternoon golf outing or a week-long excursion, you will enjoy every minute of your golf vacation at Wild Dunes Resort. Learn more about Wild Dunes at wilddunes.com. Okay, Al. Um, have you got some other choices, some other possibilities that the Tour Championship would would find as a very good home? Maybe we stay in the state, Joe, and and maybe this is one that's like a last-minute... Well, a lot more planning would be involved, but a last-minute say, hey, where do we go? We, we got to 
figure out something to do quick. Three hours southeast, Joe, little place called Ohoopy Match Club. Oh. And here's the idea behind it. You and I probably both watched the USAM uh, at Cherry Hills. And if you're like me, you were infinitely more interested in that event than watching the BMW Championship. Great course, Olympia Fields. Um, outstanding performance. Victor Hovland shooting a 61 on the final day, a 28 on the back nine. But again, I'm kind of left with a, eh, don't really care. Much more interested in watching two guys battle it out for 36 uh, holes if it got there of match play. Here's the difference, Al, is that, again, it was a fun tournament with big names on the leaderboard and remarkable scoring at Olympia Fields, a worthy historic venue in his own right. But it still felt like a cash grab to me, whereas the U.S. Amateur at equally historic Cherry Hills was a life changer for one, two, three, five, eight, any number of individuals, but especially for those finalists and the pressure just to get to that stage. That was a magnet for me. And I'll concede that that does make it more interesting because it's a life-changing event for everyone who's playing in that tournament. Maybe a life-altering event, the Tour Championship, if you were to win it. But how about we make the Tour Championship match play? Who says no to that, Joe? As I mentioned, infinitely more interested in watching the USAM in comparison that week. But what if you take... Fine, keep the first two tournaments stroke play to get into the last event. Uh, being match play. And I guess you'd have to probably have to make it 32 instead of 30 if you were going to do match play so that you could bracket it and um, make it even down to the last guy. But you've already got a course three hours away in Georgia that was built specifically for match play in Ohoopy Match Club. Gil Hands, 2018, this course opened. And it's, uh, when I checked, debuted at number 34 in the 100 greatest courses list for Golf Digest. Strong. Says a lot. And here's what I think. Tying a bow on all of this is that it is notoriously private. I mean, people really don't know much about this place at all. So go all in with your chips on intrigue, a course that no, really no one's ever seen, an event that really no one's ever seen, Match play at a match play course. There's 22 holes out there, Joe. So if they had to go to extras, they just keep going instead of playing a <laughs> hole that they've already played before. What say you to to that, to making it match play and going somewhere crazy interesting? Absolutely love your thinking on this one. You know, match play has had a little bit of a checkered history with the PGA Tour, more so because... Yeah, anybody can get lucky, if you will, with one round of golf, and the fairer test is four rounds. For television purposes, if a match ends really early, we got a lot of airtime to fill. Okay, I understand the limitations with match play that way. But, as I said, you and I both were captivated by the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Women's Amateur the week before. It really meant something. Um, why not have them play match play? And 
whether it's 32 golfers or just stick to 30 and give the number one and two seeds a buy. What great incentive to finish one or two. And off we go. At least we don't have to worry about losing a first round match. So whether you combine it with some stroke play and then go into match or just strictly match play, again, why not? It's just money. That's really all we're talking about here to crown the end of the year, you know, tour deal. I mean, there's only 30 players in that to begin with. And they're starting off at minus 10 and minus seven and minus six and all that stuff. So why not make it match play, which can be so much fun. We really did warm to that, the match play event when it was held at Austin Country Club over these years. And that's done, unfortunately. But that was a fun match play golf course. And you really did have some intrigue down the stretch with great matchups and and interesting results. So um, I'm an Ohupi fan. I got to see it when Gil was designing it, walking it with him. And again, why not? You're keeping it in Georgia. And shoot, let's go to match play. This is not an original idea. I'm not sitting here pretending like I'm the only one who's ever thought that the tour championship would be much more interesting if they made it match play. A lot of people are shouting this. Maybe if we all shout loud enough, someone will listen. And I mean, I don't see a downside. So uh, that's number two for me. You can, uh, you want to stay in the state for your next choice. I know you had an option that was nearby too. Yeah, Al, uh, I, I will stick in Georgia. Understandably, sponsors like the whole Atlanta setup and the concept and all of that. So if we stay in Atlanta, again, hot, steamy Atlanta for late August, which is where things are scheduled to take place again in 2024. But if the golf course isn't ready, um, I think there are two other really worthy candidates. Actually, there's a fistful of possibilities in Atlanta alone. TPC Sugarloaf, of course, is built for spectators. The Champions Tour plays there. uh, And the regular PGA Tour played their Atlanta Classic there for a number of years. You also have Atlanta Country Club, which was the longtime host for the PGA Tour, really hilly, though, um, and especially brutal in August. You also have the Crab Apple course at the Capital City Club, which held an American Express championship one year. Another one of these cash grabs, but nonetheless, Tiger Woods, uh, you know, prevailed. So none of those is where I'm picking. I have two picks specifically if we're going to stick around Atlanta. The first one is Peachtree Golf Club. Of all the golf clubs in Atlanta, this is probably the most low-key, most prestigious, most little known. But it opens its doors once in a while. Peachtree Golf Club is most famous for who designed it. It was a collaboration between Robert Trent Jones, Sr., and Bobby Jones. So this was to be Bobby Jones' dream club away from Augusta. 
and contemplating it about 15 years later. So when Petrie was being thought about, Bobby Jones said at the outset, quote, we agreed we should try and build a course as near like Augusta National as possible and better if possible. So that was his goal. And the best architect of the day was Robert Trent Jones, who had also worked on Augusta National around that time. And so Peachtree is just a beautiful, flowing golf course, kind of a minimum of bunkers, goes through dense forest and leads to elevated topsy-turvy greens. Some great risk-reward holes, especially an early test at the par 5 second. 582 yards now, uh, but still reachable for those who give it a go. Deep USGA connections with Peachtree in this club. Many crossover members between Augusta National. And it did host the 1989 Walker Cup. So it did open its doors on one occasion. Uh, that Walker Cup was interesting because uh, Great Britain and Ireland defeated the U.S. on home soil. Hadn't happened very often. And, uh, and on that U.S. team, uh, Phil Mickelson was probably the most prominent member. Atlanta great Danny Yates was on that team. Jay Sigel and, uh, uh, you know, a, a few others, but they lost. But at least... Petrie did open the door once for architecture buffs. It was one of the most influential golf courses done after the Golden Age. And it would be really, really fun to be able to see Peachtree. Al, you have any rejoinder to Peachtree? Because I got one more choice in Atlanta, too. Well, no, I just think like Ohoopy, in a way, it's a course that not a lot of people get to see. So to your point. To get to open the doors to that one would be would be really fascinating. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Um, the other course I had in mind is much more uh, friendly to outside tournaments, both from the USGA and the PGA, and that is the Atlanta Athletic Club. And uh, as we mentioned in talking about Eastlake, that was the original Eastlake. It was called the Atlanta Athletic Club. Uh, they moved out to the suburbs and established two golf courses in the 1960s, were totally finished designing uh, all four nines by the 1970s, and different architects involved, from Trent Jones Sr. to Joe Finger uh, and so forth. Reese Jones did the majority of the renovations on both the Highlands course, which hosted most of the big tournaments, and, and then on the Riverside course, most recently, however, the Riverside course was, I uh, had a significant renovation by Trip Davis and Associates. Trip's a very fine player and uh, got things just right on the Riverside course. So on the one hand, the Highlands course would be the obvious choice because it's hosted so many important tournaments from the 2000 and one and 2011 PGAs, well, 1981 PGA. It also hosted the women's PGA uh, in 2021. That was won by Nellie Corda. It's hosted the U.S. Amateur. What else am I forgetting now? A whole bunch of big tournaments. But the Riverside course, the second course, the one trip 
Davis just lent his attention to, did host the 1990 U.S. Women's Open, won by Hall of Famer Betsy King. And Riverside is appealing in that uh, there's a little, it's a little flatter. Uh, Riverside meaning it goes along the river. Trip Davis brought the river into play on a few holes and made it really, really fun. I think you could play a tour championship on either golf course. Maybe, maybe a little, maybe a little friendlier on the riverside for spectators and so forth. But of course, Highlands has that incredible finish, the long par four 18th, made famous in the 1976 US Open by Jerry Pate and his immortal five iron from 190 yards over the water, clinched the US Open for him. And since then, we've seen more magic on that hole, both from David Toms beating Phil Mickelson in the 2001 PGA, to uh, Keegan Bradley winning the first major he ever played in, in 2011. So again, if you wanna keep it in Atlanta and have a Bobby Jones shrine in its own right with some very testing scenic golf, Atlanta Athletic Club would join Peachtree as my other choice in Atlanta to host the Tour Championship. I like the idea of, you know, I've always enjoyed the AT&T, when they play the different courses at Pebble Beach, and you have multiple different courses in play at a single event, or like the U.S. Amateur, when they play the stroke play portion at two different places before they go down to match play. So it would be cool to see a couple of different courses being played in the early rounds. Maybe you do one round at uh, Riverside, one round at Highlands, and then uh, third and fourth round into that, the... I guess the Highlands would probably be the the choice of the two um, with its championship pedigree. So would be would be interesting. And yeah, you don't have to lose a lot of those historic elements like you're talking about uh, with Mr. Bobby Jones. So it would be interesting. I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not as interested in as in that one as, as some of your others, but it would be interesting. Sure. All right. Fair enough. Um, I, I may need to do a better job of convincing you, but, um, I don't want to just sit here and agree with everything you have to say. That's, that's boring, right? <laughs> well, let me tell you a thing or two, Al. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think one of my ideas too, is that it's just rough on spectators and players when you were playing golf for four straight days in 90 degree, 95 degree, 98 degree heat. And trying to focus, trying to concentrate. Think about where golf evolved from in Scotland and the British Isles. And like, golf wasn't meant to be played at those temperatures with that kind of humidity. It's, it's the way I feel. And so, um, you know, my other choices, I've got two more for you coming up. But take that out of the equation and go to more temperate places. So, okay. Um, onward, shall we? Back to me. Okay. Uh, instead of starting the year in Maui at Kapalua Plantation Course, end it there, Joe. Make players earn their way to, to Kapalua. Give more players a chance to go play Kapalua. You have that tournament of champions there every year to start the year. Let's see a lot more people go and play and earn their way there uh, to a vacation in Hawaii. Another situation where you'd have an event played in primetime because of the the time difference in Hawaii. 
and you can still you know you could keep the the schedule the same as you would and start the 2024 season in Honolulu at the Sony so you still start the year in Hawaii but you could end it there as well i would like to see the century tournament of champions feels like a it's not hit and giggle it's a serious event but it's hard because you've you've had all this time off and you're like all right golf's back they're playing in hawaii like feels like a big deal cuz it's made up of all winners from the previous season but it just i don't know sometimes i feel like that event needs a kick in the pants it's a good event obviously a really strong field but i think eliciting more more drama of a, an end of the year and um a pat on the back for making it there and getting into hawaii for playing good all year you get to go to kapalua how that would be a, a nice little perk i would think so that's my another one of my picks where you, you might probably have to move the schedule around to accommodate it but i think kapalua deserves a, a big tournament not to say again the century's a great tournament but tour championship who says no? Okay, I got to admit, I'm intrigued. I'm not going to disagree, uh, <laughs> even though you, you've you opened yourself up for disagreement. But Al, Kapalua, of course, is such a different kind of test for these guys. The fairways are so wide. They're so slopey. There's generally a fair amount of wind. And the guys don't see that combination really ever. Uh, on the tour. So Kapalua is a brilliant design from Bill Kaur and Ben Cranshaw. It's been a great host to this tournament, now called the Century Tournament of Champions for quite some time. But let's not forget, number one, the Tournament of Champions for many, many years used to be held in April. And for whatever reason, the folks who won the year late in the year the year before or after April, and then the beginning of the next year. And somehow that's how it would work out. So in addition, uh, old timers like me remember that Kapalua used to host a tour event, but it wasn't sanctioned as an official PGA Tour event. I want to say Lincoln Mercury sponsored this way back in the day, and it was eventually televised. Uh, and I want to say it was played in November. So that's not quite August, but it's not January either. And there were reasons to watch because there were some names you recognized. And you had all this scenery, the Pacific Ocean out there, and an unusual topography. So if you moved this tournament, the Tour Championship, even if it was played in August, I mean, the weather's great in Hawaii pretty much all the time. And yeah, I mean, especially on the west coast of Maui, this horrible freak fire, notwithstanding, um, that, yeah, it would be a cool reward in that regard to say, okay, let's make this feel like an actual tournament that means something and a little bit less like uh, an exhibition that, hey, congrats, you won something. Um, you know, there's not a lot of spectators on Maui. I don't think you'd have too many unhappy sponsors saying this is where we're going to entertain our clients and play a little golf elsewhere and come out for, for the week of the tournament. 
So I think there are some compelling advantages to what you described. Yep. Seems like we talked ourselves more and more into this as as we went along. Well, Hawaii is a fantastic year-round destination, and so why not? Whether it's played in October or late August, uh, it's still going to work just fine under those circumstances. And uh, again, you can talk uh, just like you did at the beginning of the show about, well, do we move the Tournament of Champions somewhere uh, else and start off the year but uh, and, and have this tour championship out west? But also we're saying not as a permanent move, but maybe a one-time move uh, that would make some sense. Sure. And yeah, so, all right, I still got more thoughts on this topic. You want to hear at least one more? Run, Joe, run. (laughs) As folks who know me, I don't do that often uh, unless I'm late for a plane. But uh, no, my number three choice seems like a slam dunk. I'll wait for your commentary to tell me otherwise. But I think a fantastic Tour Championship host in late August would be Whistling Straits, the showpiece of the Kohler compound, if you will, uh, a number of great golf courses that could serve almost equally well, but Whistling Straits. As we found out again during the the last Ryder Cup, is a phenomenal tournament venue, whether it is stroke play or match play. So we've seen several PGA championships come to Whistling Straits, dramatic, every single one of them. Generally, the cream rising to the crop, big names showing up and playing well there. And the drama is built in because of Pete Dye's genius design. Now, taking a tabletop degraded site where nothing uh, of value or use and turned it into what Herb Kohler asked him to do, make it look like we're in Ireland and the Irish Sandhills. And Pete did a phenomenal job um, as the last Ryder Cup proved, especially with risk reward plays. Um, that there were all over the golf course. You could challenge some of those amazing pin placements on the par threes. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau going over the the junk on the par five, driving it 417 yards on a straight line, leaving him 72 yards in on what normally plays as a 590-yard par five. If you had the small field of 30 as opposed to the big field of 140 or 50, you could do those same things. And Whistling Straits, again, you're talking about right on the lake, kind of an hour north of Milwaukee. So you've got breezes. You've got average daytime highs at the end of August in the mid-70s. I mean, that's really pleasant for everybody involved in a fantastic looking and playing golf course that could host this event. Two words for you, Joe. Bleep, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, you're talking about a place that is one of the best courses in the country, one of the best courses you can play in the country. You think about a place like Pebble Beach, which everyone knows it's top public course in the U.S., 
It hosts a tournament every year, and I almost want to feel like it gets desensitized to some people. Obviously, it's different when you go and play Pebble Beach, but if you're seeing it every year, like, I know Pebble Beach. I've seen this plenty of times. But Whistling Straits doesn't come around that often. I mean, it's hosted major events, so you've seen it and you've felt that drama associated with it, but it isn't something you think about only ever so often. The Ryder Cup, the PGA Championships that have been there. So it, it kind of lingers there in its, in its own lore and legend. And you can go play it, which is one of the great things about this course. One of the great things about some of the others we talked about, Chambers and Sawgrass and Kapalua. You can go play this course yourself and see it. So yeah, I mean, why not take it somewhere where people are instantly like, oh, Tour championships are whistling straights. This is a big deal. You know, Al, uh, and it's not just whistling straights, but two that you identified, TPC Sawgrass and Kapalua. Uh, one of my other mentions uh, being Atlanta Athletic Club uh, and Chambers Bay. These are also golf courses that have hosted big events that understand how to do that. In a pinch, if it happened, they could do that. Or... If the tour decided, hey, you know what, every other year or so, let's switch to another venue and move it around a little bit. Um, these these places are built for this. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't care what you call whistling straights, whether it's, you know, contrived because of what Pete Dye did, that it doesn't come off that way to me. And uh, it, it, with those aesthetics and its history of, of hosting big events with great champions and great finishes, all the drama. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why it registers so high with me. So I'll get, get to my last choice. And when you talk about the capability of hosting a big event, you know, in my pitch to you, I said, you know, take advantage of the infrastructure, which would require in this case, the USGA and the PGA tour to, work together to have somewhat of a joint event. But we just saw the U.S. Amateur played at Cherry Hills, a wonderful venue. Uh, next, The next few years, we're going to Hazeltine in 2024, going to the Olympic Club in 25, Marion in 26, and Oak Hill, where we just played the PGA in 27. Uh, there's a hole in the date, but you go to Atlanta Athletic Club in 2030. So that one's on your list. You go to Chambers Bay in 2033. Bandon Dunes is on this list. And other places like Inverness and Saucon Valley. Why not have the Tour Championship just follow the U.S. Amateur and play these incredible courses the week following the amateur event. See how the amateurs play it. Then you've got the pros right on their heels and see how the pros approach it. The lineup is probably the biggest factor for me when you see the list of courses that are out there. So I'm not picking one course to host. I'm just changing the whole concept of the event. Make it a two-week affair where you've got U.S. Amateur coming to town, crown-worthy champion, then let the pros take over and end the season 
People might say yes. Who says no? Okay, that seems to be the theme for today's show, uh, is who says no? Possibly the host club, uh, in terms of uh, just the strain that it might put on the membership. Again, we're talking about mostly private clubs here. And then uh, much more significant, because we know what rules is money and sponsorships and getting all the signage put up into the right positions, which happen weeks and sometimes months ahead of time, would that be possible? Is it doable? Uh, could be. You remember Pinehurst ho hosted the U.S. Men's Open and the U.S. Women's Open in back-to-back -back weeks. It was done. Um, I remember back in the late 90s, we had Wingfoot hosting the PGA Championship right on the heels of the club across the street, Quaker Ridge hosting the Walker Cup. Not quite the same, not, not the same club, but same vicinity. So you're competing for sponsors and, you know, you want to do one, you want to do both. My question to you is, would you have those 30 PGA Tour pros also play match play like the U.S. Amateur? And does that affect how you'd set up the golf course? I mean, who says no to that, really, right? <laughs> just do, yeah, just do that. Have mat, two straight match play events, same course. Yeah, sure. And um, maybe not the same. Maybe not the exact same as the U.S. Amateur, but I don't know. Is there something to that where you, you've seen it once already and how that played out? And so you kind of know, like, well, this is where so-and-so ended up in the final match of the amateur and this pro is now in the same situation so you know the putt breaks this way and you bring in that you know master's knowledge to it where you people know what's gonna what should happen you can kind of predict things i don't know that that's an interesting point you know in the 1970s al they had uh back-to-back -to -back tournaments at Firestone Country Club in Ohio. And one was a full field event called the American Golf Classic. And the other was a limited field event, sometimes as small as 20 golfers, which was the old World Series of Golf. Not the oldest version, that was just four players. But again, before the Tour Championship arrived, the PGA Tour brass was just trying to figure out how to give some great year-end finish. And that was one of the early solutions was the revamped World Series of Golf. However, those two tournaments were played on different courses at Firestone Country Club. Uh, one was on the North Course, and then the more famous South Course would host the World Series of Golf. So it's been attempted a few times here and there. I think given the right facility, uh, you could pull it off. Since there are only 30 golfers uh, playing in the Tour Championship, the traffic wouldn't be as bad. The foot traffic beating up the golf course wouldn't be as bad. Um, so, well, as my French teacher used to say, c'est possible, mais pas probable. Possible? Not probable. But nonetheless, who would say no? Who says no to a French lesson on a golf podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We're here to educate as well as entertain. Okay, what's your last pick? 
Okay, Al, my last pick again is sort of weather and scenery related. I would love to see the final 30 tour pros go out to one of my favorite venues in all of golf for a tournament, and that is Edgewood Tahoe Golf Course in Nevada on the Nevada-California border, edging spectacular Lake Tahoe with all those snow-capped mountains back there. We see it every year because it hosts the celebrity tournament, the American Century. And you've got athletes and you've got Hollywood figures and occasional old retired golfers playing in it like Annika. And the scene is just phenomenal. All those boats parked next to 17 and 18. It's pure fun. That's what comes off on the television screen is just folks having a fantastic time. All right. I mean, I think folks get liquored up at a number of PGA Tour events, starting with my own, the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Uh, you heard that in Chicago, where Max Homa took exception to one of the fans yelling out just as he was putting in Chicago. You can't get away from that anymore. So at least in Tahoe, you've got a quality golf course. It's at elevation, more than 6,000 feet, but it's easily walkable. There's only a couple of small hills to climb, and otherwise it's flat, and it goes along the lake. So it's not going to overexert these guys. Second, it does have some history as hosting a big event uh, on the professional level, the 1985 U.S. Senior Open, which was won by the great Mr. X Miller Barber. And given that you've got this lakeside breeze, the lakeside setting, holes that go through alpine meadows and up through the ponderosa pine forest, I'm just thinking it's a great way to top off the year for fans, for sponsors, for players, for officials. So it's not my top choice, but it is in, in my top five. Yeah, if you want a celebration around your golf, you want a party, Edgewood Tahoe is probably the place. I've heard that's like a fantasy land out there. Uh, it doesn't feel like a real place when people talk about it. And how cool would it be to see, yeah, the pros get their hands on that place. You're not just watching the celebrities every year. Let's Let's get the real deal in there and see what Edgewood Tahoe has to offer. Yeah, I mean, this is a golf course designed by George and Tom Fazio in 1968. Tom has tweaked it many times over the years. It plays uh, close to 7,600 yards from the tips, which isn't that long at that altitude. So what do you do for the top 30 pros on the PGA Tour? You bring in the fairways a little bit, heighten the rough, firm up the greens, as you would. but let them play. You know, the bunkers are pretty shallow overall, except a couple that frame the greens with um, a couple of the elevated greens and all kinds of risk reward fun to be have out there. So it's going to play shortish for those guys. I mean, so what? It's just 30 of them put a premium on putting it in play and not in the rough and uh, and soak up all that scenery. What if you combine it with the celebrity event? 
Oh, is that too gimmicky? Jeez, I don't know. I mean, I got to think like, um, do you combine a wedding with a funeral? I mean, it's, you know, it's great to have the same place once in a while, but two different vibes. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's a stretch. But more people would watch if Steph Curry and and some others were playing in that event. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. It's uh it's become kind of appointment viewing for me, even though it's pretty silly, uh, some of the stuff that goes on. It's entertaining and wildly entertaining often. Or you let the winner of that event play in the tour championship. <laughs> All right. All right, let's mix and merge. There okay, you go. I'm, getting, I'm a little delirious now from all of this. So it's the it's the altitude the, in Tahoe. And that's what's doing it. The altitude and air quotes. Yeah, that's that's what they say <laughs> is going on out there. <laughs> there you there you have it. All right. Well, I want to hear who says no. I want to hear who says yes, and what other venues should be in consideration. Uh, I don't think this is a thing that's actually going to happen, Joe, but a, a member of the powers that be could be listening, and perhaps we sparked an idea that's worth pursuing. Eastlake will most likely be ready for next year's Tour Championship because that's that's what they're planning on. By the same token, as I said at the beginning, I'm not a huge fan of late August golf in Atlanta, period. And at the very least, gosh, why not move it around the country a little bit? We do that with the U.S. Open, and we do that with the PGA Championship. We do that with the Ryder Cup, and we should do that with the Tour Championship. Maybe that's the idea. We had eight options, or maybe a little bit more. You talked about some of the other places. We got the next decade lined up for the Tour Championship right here. Just bounce between every place that we listed and... You'll be set. Something will stick. It changes formats Jamie, every year. It's match play one year. Well, another year, you're back to stroke. You never know what you're going to get. No. Uh, Jay Monahan. I know you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, but Al and I believe that this should be on your plate and think about it for the coming years. 